Are you living in that resurrection? Let's stand together. Give him praise this morning. Lord, we lift you up in this place. We magnify you. We glorify you, oh God. Hallelujah. Let's worship together today, church.
morning, Lord. We lift you and magnify you. Thank you for your presence, oh God. Hallelujah. Have you come to bless the Lord? He is resurrected. He is victorious. And because he is victorious, we are victorious. Amen. Do you believe that today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
You may be seated.
Praise the Lord. Can you give these guys a hand clap this morning? Great job to the band, to everyone singing. Some would say happy Easter. I would say happy Resurrection Sunday. It is good to see you in the house of the Lord today. Aren't you glad to be here? Aren't you glad to be alive and well? Amen. I tell folks all the time, you could be in the grave. She is probably the youngest in the house. She was born on 321-22. She's not even quite a month old yet. Weighed 8 pounds, 11 ounces, 21 and 1 quarter inch long. Now, where, who's got the baby? Let's see. Stand up with the baby. Whoever holds the baby, look at that. Isn't that precious? So, Carson, good to have you with us this morning. I've already called dibs on that baby after church, so no one touch it. I'm going to try my best today to be good. I, I try to be good, but, but I'm going to tell you folks something. I... If I had to describe to you what Easter Sunday is, I would call it the Super Bowl of Christendom. Meaning that in the Christian faith, in the Christian church, in the church world in general, Easter Sunday is the absolute Super Bowl. It is the big event that we celebrate every year. It is a time when we come together and everybody is excited because he lives, we can live also. And so for us today, today is not just another day. Today is life changing. Today is what our faith hinges on. On the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today I'm going to try to keep it simple but I'm going to try to do it in a timely fashion. Go ahead and start my time there, Chevy, so I can keep an eye on that for everybody today. The resurrection changes everything. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to read it. You probably could quote it. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. There's not a doubt that he died. There's not a doubt that he didn't suffer. There's not a doubt that he wasn't crucified. I know who you're looking for. But verse 6 clarified. He is not here. For he is risen as he said he would. Come and see the place where the Lord lays. Today I want to start by talking about the validity 
of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the validity of the resurrection in our lives, it is absolutely of utmost importance, especially for those today that profess that they know Jesus Christ as their Savior. When we look at the word validity, validity simply means that there is enough evidence to support something as being the truth. So please understand with me today, if you doubt that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then you cannot be saved. I will say it in layman's terms. If you doubt today that Jesus Christ is in fact the resurrected Lord, you are not saved. It's that simple. Because there is no other way to God but through whom? Through Jesus Christ. Please understand today that the primary reason that Satan would love to cause us to question whether or not this great momentous event really happened in history or not. The devil is still up to the same schemes and the tactics in where Jesus was buried was called the Garden of Golgotha by many. The devil is at the same schemes in the Garden of Golgotha as he was in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning. When he said, has God really said that? Or, or did Jesus really do that? Because he knows that our very faith, our very salvation hinges on the belief of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So everything that we teach, everything that we believe in, the Bible that we read from hinges on the fact that this thing called the resurrection is in fact legit. Can somebody say amen? Now Satan today is not stupid. Now, now there's been times, I'm going to admit it, that there's been times I've called him dumb. Well, I've got to tell you. I mean, bodybuilders would just, I'm telling you, they would covet that. Jesus Christ, in fact, rises. So let me say it as plain as I can today. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then everything we are doing here today is in vain. The life that many of you have dedicated to the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom, it would be of no value. The separate life that you have chosen to live and be different. And be picked on by other people because you're a Jesus follower. Or they've called you a Jesus freak. Or I don't understand why they live like that. Or why they go to church like they do. Or why they talk about Jesus like they do. All of that would be a waste of your life and a waste of your time. Is everybody still with me? If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then you might as well go ahead and run down to the local Chinese restaurant for lunch today. Put some coins in the hands of a very large guy with a huge belly and huge earrings and worship him for a little while. It's a golden statue. His name is Buddha. I won't ever forget, I was telling them Wednesday night when my kids were younger, we used to eat them at the Chinese restaurant all the time right there in Clemson. And right there where you paid, they had this big old fat Buddha, and he's sitting there, and he's basically got his hands out for money. And I remember one time one of them said, you got a quarter? Yeah, I got a quarter. I thought they were going to get bubble gum. They were going to give it to Buddha. I jumped into action as fast as I ever have before. <laughs> you don't dare give that devil any money. I've walked in there before. I've seen bananas and apples and everything else laying there rotten with, with fruit flies all around it. It's really disgusting. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then we might as well book a trip to China. Go sit on the mountain. Do a little yoga while chanting peace and praising the spirit of a God called Confucius. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, in fact, then we might as well journey to India. And grow in our spiritual journey as we practice meditation of Brahma. And realize that circumstances in life, they are not real. They are simply an illusion. And only Brahman is real. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then you could believe that everything that happens is Allah's will. Yes, even if it means blowing up innocent people as a suicide bomber. Like they do nowadays. Oh, and you'll have a pile of wives in heaven when you get there as a reward. But here's the thing. Jesus did rise from the grave. And Buddhism is a lie. And Buddha 
is dead. A matter of fact, we could go and his cremated remains are in a box in China along with more than 260 statues that were in his remembrance that people worship. Confucianism is dead and Confucius is a lie. A matter of fact, in China sits the cemetery of Confucius along with 100,000 plus graves of those that were his descendants who are all dead. And Brahmanism and Brahma is dead and a lie. A matter of fact, the Hindu or Hinduism, Trinity gods are all dead. Brahma, who is their creator God. I want you to know I still believe Genesis 1-1 in my Bible. That said, in the beginning, Elohim, the creator, God himself, God Almighty, created this world out of nothingness. Vishnu, which is the preserving God, a.k.a. the preserver is what they call him. But I still believe in my God that shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And then we've got Shiva, the destroyer. But I still believe there is only one judge. It's not you and it's not me. There's one judge and he will judge the whole world. And Islam, Islam is a lie. And Allah and his prophet Muhammad are dead. A matter of fact, we could plan a trip. And we could travel to Medina, Saudi Arabia. We could stand outside. We couldn't go to the actual grave because it's enclosed in a building that is known as the Green Dome. It is there that they say their remains lie. It is a journey in the Islamic faith that after they've made the journey to Mecca, that they normally go to the Green Dome to worship their God. The green dome is where Muhammad and Allah have been kept for centuries. Oh, y'all ain't ready for this. There is a fourth spot in the green dome that is yet to be filled. It is vacant inside. The question is who will it house? Well, Islam teaches us that the fourth spot has been reserved for Jesus. After his return to earth. Islam teaches us that that Allah called Jesus up and that he will come back. Jesus never died, but he will come back and he will die and he'll be buried in that specific spot is what Islam teaches. But I have news for every Muslim today. They may have built a tomb for Jesus, but he will never use it because he doesn't need it. Jesus has already been there and Jesus has already done that. And there's an empty grave in Jerusalem to prove that he's the risen son of almighty God. The validity. The validity is what? But the validity. The validity. Can somebody say that? That's a cool word to say, Brian. It really is validity. You just kind of let it. That's why I picked it today. I want to look smart. So I can get up here and I can preach you a message. I can try to preach you happy and all this kind of stuff. I understand that. I know how to do that. But the validity of this matter is what matters to me. It is not just what I can say, but, but I want to look at Scripture. And there's one word that I want to say to everybody today. Are you ready for it? It's called eyewitnesses. Everybody? Eyewitnesses. Now, an eyewitness is someone who has personally seen something happen, and therefore they are able to give a first-hand description of what they saw. The devil's getting nervous right now. Because if, if we were to have a murderer, and a murderer on trial, and they got this smirk on their face, and they think they're going to get away with the crime that they've committed, but all of a sudden... The lawyer says, your honor, we have an eyewitness that I would like to bring to the stand. And all of a sudden, the countenance of the criminal changes. Because he knows there's somebody walking in that saw what he did. It is no longer hearsay, but they saw him take the gun out. They saw him pull the trigger. They can identify what he was wearing. They can identify the gun that he was holding. They could identify the street corner that where he was standing. They can tell an eyewitness is the absolute most powerful testimony that can be given because an eyewitness can flip the trial. It can be going one way until the eyewitness shows up. Well, I want to tell somebody today that Jesus Christ had over 500 eyewitnesses to validate that he rose from the dead. 
Mary Magdalene was walking in the garden. The Bible says she's walking around the garden of what we'll call the garden of Golgotha. Many call it that. And she's walking around the garden that morning. When Jesus rises up, she's the first to see Jesus. A lady by the name of Mary Magdalene. She's a lady. She's possessed with demons. You remember her story. This one right here came a long ways. And Jesus brought her a long ways. And here she is and she thinks him to be the gardener. But Jesus looked at her and said, Mary. And she knew immediately by his voice. Man, no wonder God said, my sheep know my voice. They won't listen to anybody else because when I speak to them, they know it's my voice. Mary, it's me. And all of a sudden, Mary recognizes this is the resurrected Lord. The disciples saw him. a matter of fact, in one occasion, Jesus, the Bible said, he walked through a wall. Almost like you would picture a ghost. Walks through the wall, goes into the room, and shows the disciple, it is I. Oh, but Thomas, where's Thomas? Thomas didn't see him. And so now, since Thomas was the skeptical one, we know him as doubting Thomas. He could have broke down the whole story. Because If all the disciples saw him, but you've got one disciple that says, I can't verify this. It kills it all. Am I right? There's dissension in the group. These are his followers. And so we can't have that. We've got to have complete unison. We've got to have everybody on the same page. So when the devil thought he could break down the story by old Dalton Thomas, who said, unless I see him and unless I touch him, I will not believe. So Jesus made it a point after he was resurrected to go to where Thomas was. He said, you go get Thomas because I need Thomas to see me. And he got there and he said, Thomas, he said, look at my hands. This is where the nails were. Thomas, would you look in the... Matter of fact, just give me your hand. Put your hand in my side. And all of a sudden, what did Thomas do? He said, my Lord... And my God. All of a sudden, he recognizes as an eyewitness, this is the resurrected Jesus. And just to make sure that the resurrection wasn't an inside hoax, that means the people that were on the end were the only people that were part of the story and able to tell the story. Paul said that Jesus was seen by over 500 people at one time at his ascension. You talk about covering your basis. Paul went on to say, Jesus was seen lastly by me. Now many believe this was the glorified Christ that appeared the soul on the road to Damascus. But he did go on to become an apostle. Apostle Paul, which meant he too had seen the resurrected Christ. These individuals would keep the message of Easter and resurrection alive in the church. Not just for their generation and their generation alone, but for generation after generation after generation to come. They would write about it. They would sing about it. They would preach about it. And here we are in 2022. Pastor Jimmy in the Gap Hill Church of God. Still declaring to a dark lost world. That Jesus is still on the throne. He's alive and well. And he's coming back for his church very soon. They kept it alive. Let me tell you a little interesting fact here really quick. The people that saw the resurrected Lord refused to recant what they had seen. You know in scripture, all of the disciples were going to die except for John. A martyrdom death. That means they were going to die martyrs. All right, They were going to be killed for Jesus Christ. For the gospel's sake. And of course, Judas Iscariot hung himself. So he doesn't count. But the others, they all died for Jesus. Except for John, who would live to be the revelator. And write the book that we know is the book of Revelation about the end time. Now many of you may already know that they were tortured. James... Had his head cut off. Thomas, Thomas, the once doubting Thomas, was a missionary to India. And do you know it's really ironic, but do you know how he died? They pierced him in the side with a spear. And he died there on the beach. Peter, who was hung upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to die like Jesus died. So they hung him upside down. But this is what I want you to grab. They would never recant what they had seen. Now you think about this. You can't say what you do until you're in somebody else's shoes. But I want to ask you this. 
If they were about to torture you and kill you, wouldn't it have been much easier to say, hey, we made all this stuff up. It isn't real. Wouldn't it be so much easier to say, you know what? I'm sorry, buddy. We stole the body. We hid it. But they would rather die than turn their backs on Jesus. This is even more proof and more evidence that the, re- that the resurrection really did happen. The disciples were willing to die to keep spreading the message of Easter Sunday morning. So let me hurry to my four points. So you may ask me today, why does the resurrection change everything? How does the resurrection change everything? For whom does the resurrection change everything? Point number one, the resurrection changes everything for the sinner. See, understand with me, John 3.16. It is probably the most popular scripture in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. But we began today by talking about the validity of the resurrection. Because we have to understand that John 3.16 is a wonderful scripture. But it is null and it is void without the resurrection of Jesus Christ happening. I am so glad today that Jesus isn't like some of us. Jesus is not a quitter. In the garden of Gethsemane they came to arrest my Lord. But Peter, being the hothead that he was, grabbed his sword and he started swinging. He's going to defend his Jesus from these crazy people. Peter cut off the ear of Malchus in the process. But what Jesus told him is very interesting to me. He says, Peter, are you not aware that I can call on my father and he will at once. That means in an instant, in a moment. He will put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Now to put that into perspective, in Old Testament times, that's either four to 6,000 per legion, equaling or totaling 48,000 to 72,000 angels. My Lord, have mercy. Oh, and do you remember in 2 Kings 19 with the Assyrian army, whenever they're fighting, and God said, I need to take care of these people, and he sent one angel. Do you remember how many people one angel killed? 185,000. So he's saying to Peter, if I need an army, I've got an army. But he said, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Put away your sword, Peter. There is a bigger plan unfolding here. It's bigger than you and your sword. You'll look back one day and you're going to understand this. Christ would go on. He would die the most horrific death of all time in history. But he prayed to the Father, not my will, but thy will be done. It makes me want to stop and sing the old soul. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, hallelujah. He gave his life for even me, my God. Oh, what a Savior. Paul went on and told us in 1 Corinthians. He said, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit. He said, our preaching is useless. And so is our faith. Salvation for the sinner is very simple. Do you know what salvation looks like? You believe that Jesus died. That Jesus rose again. And you put your faith in Him as your Savior. And you shall be saved. Woo! Now we make it complicated. Well, oh God, we got to take you through a 10-week discipleship. But listen to me. We're going to get you there. We're going to listen. When you pray a simple sinner's prayer and give your life to Christ and you accept what I'm talking about today, Jesus said from that moment you are saved. Paul is like, I'd have to ask for your forgiveness for being a false witness and a false prophet. He went on to say, if in this life, a.k.a. this world, is all that we have to hope in, then we are all men most miserable. But in fact, he said, Christ has risen from the dead. He came to destroy the works of the enemy, to break every chain that has the sinner bound. Now we can declare without hesitation, he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. The resurrection changes everything for the sinner. Secondly, the resurrection changes everything for the saint. Once you come to Jesus Christ, what is one of the first steps that you go through as a Christian on your spiritual journey? Anybody know? We got one back here. Just give you a little hint. We run water in it because y'all so spoiled rotten we warm it up. It's called water 
baptism. I got to. I got to. You know, this is going to take me just a couple minutes, but it's worth it. Put the scripture up, Shavit. Let's roll. The name of this is sin's power is broken. This is one of these scriptures I, I just got to tell you. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we join in his what? In his death. Leave verse 4 up for just a minute. I'll tell you when to move on. For we died and were buried with Christ by what? Baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. In water baptism, it is not just dunking somebody under the water until they bubble. What happens in water baptism is the old man dies and he is buried in the water. And the new man arises in resurrection up out of the water. Satan hates water baptism because he knows that what is, is symbolic of is the old things are gone and all things have become new. You become a new creation. Go to verse 5. Since we have been united with him in his death, we'll also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Just leave it on verse 6 for a minute. We are no longer slaves to sin. I want to tell every believer today that Christ took your sins on the cross. Jesus became sin for us. Christians aren't perfect. We struggle. We even fall short at times. Yes, there's times we even sin. But Paul said because of the power of the resurrection, you don't have to be a slave to sin in your life anymore. You don't have to keep looking at that pornography. You don't have to keep lusting after somebody that's not your other half. You don't have to keep living a lie. You don't have to keep abusing that medication. My God Almighty. The resurrection has given you power as a child of God over that mess. Verse 7, for when we died with Christ, we're set free from the power of sin. Since we died with Christ, we know we'll also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. He will never. I mean, I know the Islam people are going to get mad with me here. Those Islamists, but... He will never die again. I know they've got a fourth spot in the green dome for Jesus. But according to verse 9, death no longer has any power over him. Verse 10, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now he lives. He lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive through God. Through, or to God through Christ Jesus. I want to ask you a question. Why do we come to church and act dead at times. Because I want somebody to know as a saint. Because of the resurrection. I ain't dead. I'm alive. The reason I act like I do. Is not because I'm dead. The reason I'm excited today. Is because I'm alive. Because I know. See there's some of you in this house. Boy you ought to be shouting hallelujah louder than anybody. Because you know where you were. You know where you come from. I haven't even heard your story. But God knows where you came from. And he brought you out of that mess. He's lifted you to a high place with him. He's brought you up through water baptism and the resurrection. You're a new creation. You ought to give God praise for that today. Come alive. Our Savior is risen. It shouldn't be more like, all right, let's hurry up and get this over with so we can go get some chicken and celebrate who I am in Jesus Christ. We ought to be alive today, more alive than we've ever been. I don't care what's going on in the world. Forget about that for a moment. Recognize you're alive in Jesus Christ. The resurrection changes everything for the saint. Let me hurry to number three. The resurrection changes everything for this church. Are y'all with me? The resurrection Changes everything for the church. I can almost hear Jesus talking to his disciples now. I can just hear him. He says, you, we talked about in our spiritual principalities and powers series that we end up preaching about four or five of them uh, over the past uh, month or so. We talked about the demons and them us having authority over them. And I preached last week on I've given you authority, right? And so I can hear him talking to them now. You thought... You had authority over demons. And if, I, if you can excuse my French, but you ain't seen nothing yet. 
You just wait until I'm gone. And the Holy Ghost has come. Then and only then will you have the authority that I have promised you. You will lay hands on your sick and they shall recover. You shall lay hands on blinded eyes and they will open. Deaf ears will unclog. Demons will beg you to get away from them before you even open your mouth. You thought it was awesome having me around in physical form. In flesh and blood. But when I am gone. Greater works than these shall you do. Because I go to the Father. Acts 1.8. I'm leaving you. I know you're sad. But you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You talk about revival fires. Jesus was like, I've already seen the day of Pentecost. Yeah, he's an omniscient God. That means he can see things before they happen. So I can see him as he's thinking in his mind as to what he really wants to say to them. But he's going to wait and let them learn for themselves. He's thinking you are going to want me to leave. So you can experience what I've already seen written in Acts chapter 2. If they could have only seen what Jesus saw. Please allow me to paint a picture of what Jesus saw. He saw 120 people that are gathering in an upper room. For 10 days you are going to pray. You're going to fast. You're going to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And when everyone is there, no, I mean when everyone is really there. In one place, in one accord, in unity. All of a sudden this strong wind is going to blow. It's going to blow so strong through the windows of that little room. It may freak you out a little bit, but you guys are going to see little tongues of fire. And they're going to be floating around. And they're actually going to land on your shoulders. And then you're going to speak in an unknown tongue. People from all over the world will hear about the death and the resurrection in their own language. Peter, people are going to call you drunkards. But you will remind them that Joel prophesied about this a long time ago. And when you get out there, you say this is that which was prophesied by Joel. And remind them your sons. And your daughters are going to prophesy just like we are too. And we're not drunk on wine. We are drunk on the Spirit. Peter, you are going to preach your first sermon filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. It's going to be a sermon like you never dreamed possible. 3,000 people are going to believe your message. They're going to give their lives to Jesus Christ. And Peter, you're going to be worn out and you're going to sleep well that night. Because you're going to baptize all 3,000 of them and give a membership to the New Testament church all in one day. Peter, if I told you all of this now, you wouldn't believe me. But just trust me when I say I must go away so that the Comforter can come. Listen to me. None of this is possible, folks, without the resurrection. The resurrection changes everything for the church. Jesus, help us to be the church of power that you've called us to be. For God is not coming back for a dead, dried up church. He's not coming back for a church that has a name. That they are alive, but they're dead as they can be. God is coming back for a vibrant, thriving, full of life and full of power kind of church. Somebody ought to give God a hand clap of praise right now in this house. And this is my last point. I'm going to leave you. Number four. The resurrection changes everything for the dead. I'm going to say it again because some of you missed it. The resurrection changes everything for the dead. I have never met a person in my entire life. And I've done a lot of funerals. I've been to a lot of funerals. I have never seen a person that told me they loved going to funerals. Have you? Now, I don't mean to be rude here, but it's a little strange. I'm almost willing to use the weird word here if they do. They weird. I have even made it a habit as a pastor to try to make it sound a little better. Instead of calling it a funeral, 
I've got to where I'm in this habit of calling it for somebody that knows Christ, of course. I call it a home-going service. It just sounds better than a funeral. Because when we get there, we know in physical form that they are dead. But we're not feeling too spiritual to think, well, they're alive in Christ right now. They're more alive than they've ever been. So to us on earth, it's still just a dreaded funeral. The graveyard has always been a dreadful place. I've ridden by, I've seen old men. I've seen old women. I've watched them walk out there with canes. Can barely even get over. And I'm thinking, be careful. Because some of these places are a little hilly. And I'm afraid they're going to fall. And they're not going to make it there. But they make their way to the grave of a spouse that they've been married to for years and years. And they're no longer by their side. And tears rolling down their face. It will tear you up. You see big tombstones, small tombstones. It will literally tear you up. I have never gone to a graveyard and got excited about being there. I mean, even if I had a worst enemy, and I really don't, but if I did, if you have a heart and you went to watch them go under the ground thinking you're going to be thankful to see them gone and the world's a better place, you would still be moved by the tears of those people that were sitting there crying who they had left behind because that person meant something to them. But I've always said, that if I had to pick one place to be when Jesus decides to come back. Do you know where it is? Anybody want to guess? I want to be at the graveyard. That's where I want to be. Because something is going to happen on that day like we've never seen before. I was reading my Bible just a couple days ago. In Matthew 27, he gave us a tad bit of information that the other gospels or disciples didn't give us. He said that when Jesus died, he let out a shout. It was not a shout of defeat. It was a shout of victory. And he said, it is finished. Events start happening. The veil, and I mean, can you, I just want you to picture this. I mean, it is finished. It's a cry of victory. But all of a sudden, it begins to rumble outside. An earthquake begins to happen. The veil in the temple from top to bottom has been rent in twain. It simply means now that man has access to God directly instead of going through a priest and a sacrificial way of ceremony. But a strange thing happened. In the middle of the earthquake, Matthew said, some of the old saints that had died were resurrected and seen walking around the streets of Jerusalem. Woo! Bertha, is that you? My, you've been dead for three years. Man, you're looking good, Bertha. Ron, Ron, is that you? Oh, baby, I've missed you so much. As she grips her husband, because now he's back. Do you understand? And then all of a sudden, the centurion soldier who has pierced him, who has mocked him, who has beat him, he looks around and says, My God, I moved the tears. Truly, this man was the Son of God. It's overwhelming. There's much debate as to what the scripture is all about. But I believe that it is a small picture of the future resurrection that is going to take place when the trumpet of God sounds. And the truth is, and I want to leave you with this. Go to the piano, Sandra. I'm quitting. The truth is there is rarely a graveside service that goes by that I participate in that I don't read these scriptures. And I like this version. It is called the hope of the resurrection. And I got to read it to you. Are you ready? Verse 13. Let's go. First Thessalonians. There we go. And now, dear brothers and sisters, I just want every Christian in this house that has lost a mama, a daddy, a baby, I want you right now to think about what I'm about to read. I don't have to preach it. I don't have to, to emphasize anything here. All I've got to do is read it. And this is one of the most powerful scriptures I believe I've ever read. We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people in this world who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died, 
And he was raised again to life. We also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Verse 15, I love it. Paul says, this ain't something that I made up. This isn't a dream I had last night. I heard directly from the Lord. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet Him ahead of those who have died. This is why I want to be in the graveyard. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. Just like at the crucifixion, when the earth is quaking and shaking, he says, All of a sudden, a mighty sound's gonna happen. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, it's gonna blow. But first, the believers who have died, can you even imagine this? Just like Jesus, they're gonna start rising from their graves. Then together with them, We who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord. How long? Forever! So to those of they that don't know Jesus, to every believer in this house that you've lost a loved one, and not only believers, but unbelievers as well, Encourage each other with these words. My encouragement to the sinner is that if you trust in Jesus Christ as the resurrected Lord, you're going to be a part of that day. To everyone in here that has lost someone that you still mourn over and you still go visit the grave, one day, it's about the resurrection. If it's really real, like we believe it is, then this is going to take place and your loved ones, you're going to find them in the air and you're going to live with God forever. These are the words. Can you imagine being in the graveyard when that happens? Resurrection changes everything for the sinner, for the saint, for the church, and definitely for the dead. Let's all stand. Do you know him today is the question I want to ask you. Do you know him today? In the words of the great apostle Paul, do you know him in the power of his resurrection because I want everybody to know today the most important thing that you can ever do is declare him Lord over your life we're not the church that's like alright we're going to need a list of your sins you know let's figure out all your sins and let's, let's write this stuff out we'll, we'll work one through one we'll put you on a 10 step program I'm not that church we're not that church We're the church that we believe we serve a God that when you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ that He died and resurrected from the grave, you shall be saved. We are also that church that believes that once you get saved, the power of sin, it no longer is there. The power of sin, it doesn't have power over you any longer. The power of Christ is in you now. There's no place for that sin any longer. Heads are bowed. Today, if you don't know Jesus, I want you right now to say, Jesus, forgive me for every sin. Jesus, I am sorry that I have neglected you. I am sorry that I have neglected your house. I am asking you to forgive me today. Father, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that you truly did come. You are perfect. You are sinless. You came, you bled, and you died so that I could be saved. On the third day, you rose from the dead to validate it all. To confirm with evidence to put your final seal of approval on it. You rose from the dead so that I can one day come out of this sin. Walk in newness of life. And ultimately one day live with you forever. So today I accept you as my Lord and my God. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer today a minute from your heart. Jesus Christ is now 
your Lord and Savior. It is that simple. And if you choose to make that decision, let somebody know today. Myself, Brian, one of our staff, let us know today that you've made that decision so good. And we want to celebrate with you. To every child of God today, aren't you glad for Jesus? Aren't you glad for Resurrection Sunday? Can you give God a hand clap of praise? He's worthy, folks. He's worthy. And lie to me. Sing it. Oh, my dead face. The cross has overcome the grave. For Jesus' blood that sets me free. Me dead. Our chains are gone. Chains are gone. Death pays. The cross has overthrown the grave. For Jesus' blood has set me free. Me So, guys, today I'm excited. I've got some free t-shirts out there. It's some that we had left over. We don't want them sitting in boxes. We want them on you. So if you wear one, grab it. Carol and David are going to be out there today. Monroe, they're going to be handed out. You can take pictures by the cross if you'd like to as well. But they're free today. No cost whatsoever. We're doing it just because we love you. And we want uh, you to, quite frankly, advertise for the church. I say that. God bless you. If you don't have a home church, come on back. We'd love to see you next Sunday. Be blessed in Jesus' name.